All right. So, 20 pages of notes. Screaming child, I'm ready. <laughs> Broadcasting live from inside the power band. This is The Blah. In this episode, everybody dies. You know what? Let me... Let me <laughs> Let me redo the intro so we have two, and I'll, I'll do that. I'll say with special guest title. Broadcasting live from inside the power band, this is The Blah. In this episode, everybody dies. I'm your host, The Mulverine, along with There He Goes, Jar Higo, Algorithm, and special guest, Tiny Gojira. Hey, folks. <laughs> How you doing, bro? <laughs> Hey! Oh, I'm just swimmingly great. So good. So good. So tonight, folks, on the podcast, we are talking about the 1981 classic Kurt Russell film, Escape from New York. Unique New York. Starring Lee Van Cleef and Kurt Russell. How about the, this, the main song, dude? Fuck, I love that song. Ah, so good. Yeah, okay. Yeah, let's just jump, dive right in. I totally fell in love with that song. Like I had never seen this movie before. I thought I had. I this is this was my first viewing of the movie and that song I was like, "Yep, I'm in." That song was so good. Okay. So, here I took as you both know 300 pages of notes about this film. <laughs> and I the first note that I have is music deliciously 80s synthgasm. <laughs> yep, it is a synthgasm. My note on that was, it sounds exactly like a song that Daft Punk would steal and turn into a banger. Yeah, yeah, I could see that. You, you know John Carpenter was the... Composer? Oh, yeah. I wasn't until this morning. Yeah, okay. It's like one thing you can always sort of count on for a John Carpenter movie is like some pretty goofy, electronic, memorable scoring going on. Ab- absolutely. Yeah. Uh, I mean, this movie really has everything. It's got Lee Van Cleef. It's got Tom Atkins. It's got a chock full of nuts coffee shop. It's got Ernest Borgnine. It's got Harry <laughs> Dean Stanton, Isaac Hayes. Terrible, terrible sound effects. And just a <laughs> score uh, for the ages. <laughs> a score that is so good. I, I really don't even know what to rank it next to. <laughs> it's pretty legit. Yeah, the, the the score all the way through is just pretty fucking terrific. It's pretty awesome. Oh, it's great. Yeah. I just love, like, I mean, you got to love films with, like, an opening little bit of narrative on the screen. And that was a huge thing in the 80s, especially in science fiction films, because, you know, science fiction films were just becoming popular, and people were just starting to look at them as, like, an actual art form. So... You know, in order to kind of explain it a little bit better, they would do these little narratives. At least I think that's how it started. And, you know, in yeah. the beginning... I'm, I'm guessing it was like the studio execs being like, yeah, maybe you better give them a little backstory to start off with so people yeah. aren't confused. <laughs> <laughs> that kind of a thing. <laughs> I was actually thinking about that. Uh, it, it reminded me of that Kevin Spacey, Walter Matthau, Obi-Wan thing, you know? Like... <laughs> You know what I mean? How he's like these tracks are side by side. <laughs> these bantha tracks are side by side. <laughs> and then he and then he he's got the stogie in his mouth and he's like, "What the hell kind of picture is this anyway?" You know, like <laughs> I think that was probably a lot of people 
studio execs and actors in this film when the film was being made. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. There's no question in my mind about that. So do, do you know that there was a, what, what are we going to call that? Like a title, like a back, like a, what, what is that? There is a name for it and I can't remember what it is. James Tiberius Google, where the fuck are you? <laughs> where are you? He, Jimmy's on James Tiberius Google is off tonight. I, I love his middle name. It makes me so happy. What, Tiberius? Yeah, it's just so good. No, it is good. So anyways, if you're following the thread, you know what we're talking about. That was narrated by Jamie Lee Curtis. What? Yeah. No, no. Yeah, there's a there's a female voice that that's like narrating the whole thing, explaining the that New York is now a prison. It's the year 90, 1997 and crime is increased by 400 percent. Well, and uh, <laughs> that's Jamie Lee Curtis. You've got to be kidding me. That's awesome. Yeah. And you know that all those all of those effects are practical to that whole thing. None of it was actually done with the computer. That's crazy, man. Uh, I know that most of them were, except for what I assumed were like the wireframe building, you know, views on the monitors. No, dude. (laughs) Do you know how they did that? They actually took the mock-up of the city and they fucking, they put like reflective tape around all the edges of the shit and then they like shot it with like a black light, basically. Oh my God. That is so brilliant, man. I love it. And basically made it look like Tron. Yeah, yeah. Like all all of those little effects that they did were were you know like when he's like in the uh, glider and shit like, and all those little like monitor screens around like all that stuff was was practical effects. Wow, that is so cool. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I guess at the time it was it was cheaper to to, to do it that way, so they did. <laughs> Anyways, not to get not to get sidetracked because you were building up ahead of steam there, Kev. I was building up ahead of steam, but you talked, you mentioned a few of the things I was going to talk about. Like, firstly, the film comes out, is released in 1981. In the film, in 1988, crime rises 400%. (laughs) So in seven years, crime rose 400% to the point it was so bad that they were like, all right, well, let's just take the entire island of Manhattan and we're going to build a wall around it. And that's going to be the single prison for the entire United States. (laughs) So ridiculous. I love it. (laughs) Really, really plausible premise that we open basically on the two guys in the homemade raft. They're trying to escape from the island of Manhattan. Okay. And they are paddling furiously across the, I think, the East River. You know, their their control room, they're like, oh, we've got a bunch of people (laughs) trying to escape by water. So they send a chopper out there over the PA in the chopper. They tell the guys on the raft, you have to turn back immediately. And then they wait like literally less than 10 seconds. They fire two some sort of projectiles into the water <laughs> and then you see a guy like hit a detonator button and they explode and they blow them to kingdom come man like turn around or we'll kill you and then they turn around and get blown to shit exactly like it's like why did you even bother sending the chopper <laughs> or doing any of that stuff man it's like they could have just killed him from there you know Fired to uh, rockets or missiles or whatever. I just thought that was great. You know, (laughs) the next note I have after that is Tom Atkins smoking. Tom (laughs) Atkins smokes so much in this movie. In fact, he's smoking in almost every single scene. 
And I feel like a lot of the scenes open on him finishing a smoke break and then the action happens in that scene. It's like, oh, the scene wasn't about Tom Atkins having a yet another smoke break? Like, <laughs> you know, it was just like, okay. It's all one big Marlboro commercial. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, he did a lot of smoking, you know, what can I say? Um, and actually, th- th- I need to rewind because before that happens... <laughs> I love how excited um, you are, man. <laughs> I know. I mean, I'm very excited about this film. It's just Ben and I listening to you read your notes. Like, <laughs> Ben, do you have anything to say? <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm ready to jump in here at any point. You just do. You just do it. You just jump right in. So uh, let me let me wind that back a second. So before that happens, the, the Lee Van Cleef entrance in the limousine, we get the bus entrance and off the bus comes a drifter and we don't know who he is, but he's got an eye patch and a leather bomber jacket on. And like white tights. No, even better than that, Chad, he's got like what I feel was the precursor to urban camo. Like urban camo was like the white, black, gray, right, Ben? Yes. Urban camo. Yeah. Somewhat tight pants with yeah. pockets on the front of the thigh. <laughs> yes, exactly. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, shit. Like, what do you fucking store in thigh pockets? Slim Jims or something? Like, what the fuck? I don't, I don't, I don't. Nine millimeter bullets. Yeah. With pepperoni, nine millimeter. Eye patches, backup eye patches. Spare eye patches. <laughs> yeah, spare eye patches. I like that. So Snake, when he comes in, so they, you know, they go through the arduous process of, a, of basically we have to watch him walk from the bus all the way through the facility, which is a little more than we probably need. But, but the great thing about that whole narration as he's being processed, the line is, you have the option of being terminated and cremated on premises. If you choose this option, please notify your duty sergeant. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, oh boy. And it's like, it's super matter of fact, man. Like one thing I can say about this film is like, there's like tension building in this film. Like they tried so hard to build tension in this film and like they literally failed at every turn. <laughs> I mean, wouldn't you agree? Oh God, yeah they they wanted you to take it so seriously. <laughs> exactly, man. You know, and in that and that part is is a testament to that because I, I was like watching it again when I did my notes run through, and it was like that that part comes on, and it's like nobody's reacting to it. The guards aren't reacting. Snake isn't reacting nobody's reacting to it. And it's like, it's so put in there for like harsh shock value in like a 1984 kind of way. You know what I mean? (laughs) It's like, it just falls so flat, man. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) So I was taking a sip of coffee actually. So then we got, uh, the the leaf arrives by limo. Keep plowing through it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Lee Van Cleef arrives by limo. We already covered that. Um any any anything else you want to say about Van Cleef uh like emerging <laughs> in the beginning of this film? <laughs> Can we back off the play by play for a minute? And I'm I'm just curious about like 
when you guys first saw this and how many times you've seen it and like what kind of role it had in your when you're growing up and stuff because I had never seen it before. I'd only seen Big Trouble in Little China. Wait a second. You're telling me this is the first time you watched this yes, movie yeah, yeah. since we decided Oh my god, wow. Yeah, yeah. It was awesome. I thought I had seen it, but I was confusing it with Big Trouble in Little China. Oh, wow. Okay. Um Ben, you you need to take that one first. Uh I might have been like 8 or 9, something like that. Cuz it's like the perfect movie for an 8-year-old. Yeah, like 8 or 9, uh, I think. I was I was 9. Yeah, I was 9. You know, I I grew up out in the sticks, so we didn't have cable. <laughs> my, my buddy had like he's like his parents had HBO, so they would, you know, record movies. So they had like a, a smattering of, you know, those that and Escape from New York and Swamp Thing and, you know, the first Star Wars movie and, you know, it's like a smattering of these kind of movies. So the first time I saw it was at his house via dubbed from HBO VHS. Yeah. Nice. And was it a big thing for you? Like if you only had five movies, I guess you probably watched the hell out of it. Because I've always just assumed that you guys both really love the Snake Plissken movies and like it has a special place in terms of nostalgic and stuff like that. Yeah, there, there's like a, a, a nostalgic feeling about it. But I don't know if it was, uh, you know, like the Terminator was in that same pile of movies and we watched that like all the time. Escape from New York was like a one or two viewing kind of, you know, <laughs> definitely did not have the same Im- impression on me when I was younger. Right. But, you know, it's got a nostalgia factor for me in the John Carpenter with uh, Kurt Russell sort of, uh, you know, slew of movies that were made like Big Trouble in Little China and The Thing and which are much better movies in my opinion, actually. <laughs> so there's a fondness for it, but I agree. The Thing is still the original thing is a absolute classic. It's so good. I don't know if I've ever seen that one. Oh, Man, that's a good one for sure. Terrific. Yeah. Oh, it's terrific. I mean, the effects are cheesy, but good at the same time and definitely freaky. I mean, just the whole premise of it is like, you know, an adaptable sort of viral alien. Like, uh, it was creepy. I remember watching that and being super creeped out by it. My connection actually dropped out there for a second. Where Did you finish that, your uh, treatise on... Oh, yes, yes. How, es- how yes. Escape from New York affected your life. <laughs> to, m- to much fanfare. It was beautiful. <laughs> to much, to much. We've already heard from the fans. Nice. Did you? What about you, Kev? Um, this movie to me when I was a kid was like, it was everything. When I saw the ad for this film, <laughs> I was freaking out. So when I did see it, it was just like, I thought... Kurt Russell was the coolest thing on the planet. I thought Snake Plissken was the coolest name for anybody ever created. Pretty much. Uh, you know, Lee Van Cleef, uh, just saying Plissken over and over again. Like that, I think when I was a kid, I thought that was his only line in the movie was Plissken. You know, like. Call me Snake. <laughs> that's, all, that's all I ever heard was him, Plissken. So, you know, that, and then you had like just crazy post-apocalyptic-ish sort of people and Snake Plissken with his Mac 10 with the eight-foot silencer and rifle scope on it, which we will get to. Oh, my God. Oh, my God, dude. And the scope. <laughs> this is my favorite so, thing. So wait, let me, wait, hold on. Hold your comments to that. Let me, let me finish my thing. Man. I have like four notes and that's one of them, dude. Oh, my God. Uh, I know. Um, I, had a, I had a note about that, too. 
well, I guess that's sort of it. I just this movie was like everything to me. I, I thought it was so cool. So the last thing I'll say to wrap it up is that, um, like I mentioned to you guys earlier, I haven't seen this film in like I, my God, fifteen years, maybe twenty years. And this movie was like a, it, it had a godlike status in my mind. And then when I watched it again uh, twice in the last week, I was like. What in the world is this? <laughs> Fair enough. Film. It's not a film. It's I don't even know what this is. But it's like terrible and awesome, and it's like a storm tornado with electricity flying down the road. Like <laughs> I don't know what it is, man. Okay, let's talk about the damn gun, dude. Because you got to, dude. It's like the, one of the first notes I had was the fucking gun with a silencer and a scope on it. Like, fuck me running. It's so good. Oh, God. A machine pistol with yeah. a fucking sniper scope <laughs> mounted to the suppressor. Maybe that's why he has an eye patch. It's because he punched himself in the face with his gun so many times because he was looking through the scope. <laughs> that is highly plausible, man. Highly plausible. Oh, my God. Ah, this movie is so awesome. And they, they get so much mileage out of that gun because it's like the like the Duke gets a hold of it and he's like taken with it. He's just like, oh, yeah. <laughs> Shooting at the president on the wall with a gun. Oh god, so Isaac Hayes. I know. And I love how I love how in that scene he's looking through the scope, yes. shooting at the president, and he's missed him by a wide margin about fifteen times. <laughs> and he's about he's about ten feet away from him. Oh, it's so yeah, funny. exactly, man, exactly. And his oh, and his so peanut good. and his peanut <clears throat> gallery is like, yay! Like every time he takes, yeah, a shot. yeah, they are. No, Ben, you're right. They're literally like, yay. <laughs> um, you know, I'll tell you the other thing was that his backup sidearm was like a you know like a thirty eight. And that had a ridiculous scope on it as well. And that was sort of. That was definitely a trope of like 80s weaponry. It was mm. like, let's put a giant scope on it and that'll make it even cooler. Cause, you know, it just, ma- it does. It makes it look so much cooler. It really does. It's not at all practical, but it's so legit. Right. I got to, I got to admit, every time I play a first person shooter and there's a, a revolver option and, you know, somewhere down the line, you're going to be able to get like some some dope sites for that thing. <laughs> and they always have an option. They always have an option that's like a giant, like, you know, like a rifle scope, like a fucking, like a marksman scope. <laughs> oh, my God. It's so funny, dude. I can. It's so true. I can never, it's so ever true. resist. It's just. I can't either, man. I know. I can't either. But it's like the nine-year-old, the nine-year-old you in, in class, like drawing guns and knives and weapons on a piece of paper. Like there's always scopes and stupid shit like that. Like it's just perfect. Oh, totally, yeah, man. Like, you know, it was like the can't just have a gun. What? You gotta put shit all over it, you know? <laughs> yeah, right, exactly. <laughs> can we can we take the perfect opportunity to to digress into the weapon selection table that had fucking throwing stars on it. I laughed so hard. <laughs> oh my God. It's yes. Like, absolutely, man. It's like pick whatever you want, snake. And he's like, I'll have the throwing stars. <laughs> like, all right, buddy. Yeah, exactly. And there wasn't there wasn't just one. There were multiple types of shurikens. It's so good. 
I can't even tell you the last time I saw a throwing star in a movie. And, like, I, it made me – I was so delighted. Well, Chad, welcome to the 80s because in every movie there's shurikens. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Just throwing stars everywhere. And I'm not going to use the proper name. I'm going to use the white kid in the middle of nowhere name, throwing stars. No, I'm saying I'm saying shurikens because I remember I was the white kid from the middle of nowhere saying throwing stars. And then somebody told me that they were shurikens. And I was like, whoa. And he, and he, I remember that. And you know how it is when you're a kid, like the kid that told me was like, dude, they're not throwing stars. They're shurikens. And I was like, you know, to make me feel really stupid, which I did. But then I then took that on and I would say shuriken from then on out and make other people feel stupid. No, I felt stupid just then. So success. Did I? Good. All these years later, the legacy continues. <laughs> <laughs> the legacy of shurikens continues. <laughs> Let me tell you the tale of the legacy of the shurikens. <laughs> You know who should do that that narration, Ben? Is James Wong, who played Low Pan. Or Jamie Lee Curtis. Or, or Jamie Lee Curtis. <laughs> yeah, or Jamie Lee Curtis. No, no, back his backup was Jamie Lee Curtis. James <laughs> Wong. He played Low Pan in Big Trouble in Little China. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, yes, yes. He also played the uh, Hannibal Chu in uh, Blade Runner. Yeah. Ooh, ho, ho, ho. Anyway, um, was he the noodle bar owner in uh, Fifth Element? No, no, Fifth Element, no, different guy. But that guy's been in a million movies too. Never mind. <laughs> Never mind. This movie was rife with '80s proto tropes, dude. It is, <laughs> dude. Oh my god, that is the that is already the best line in this show. '80s proto tropes. I love it. It is, man. I mean, this movie set the bar for, I, I, I think, anyway, set the bar for many of the 80s action slash 80s action sci-fi film tropes that we saw throughout the entire decade. Wouldn't you say so? Yeah, I think it, I think it kind of made it okay to just smash all that shit together en masse, you know, like, like they sort of seemed to borrow a little bit from here and there, but. Nobody had really seen it, you know. No, just just like a like a buffet of of <laughs> throwing stars and like underground oh, mutants yeah. and you know. fighting the giant guy in a ring at the end. Yes, yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh man, so 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 tasty. I love like this is totally jumping the gun, but like. I love how the whole movie builds and builds and builds until, like, they're going across, like, the Brooklyn Bridge or whatever, or whatever bridge it was, with a fucking minefield and, like, going off sweet jumps and stuff. It's just like, what the fuck is going on here, guys? <laughs> and what's his name? It takes a wrong step and blows the fuck up, and then the girl's like, I'm going to die with him. And, like, it's just, like, so classic. <laughs> oh, my God. Harry Dean Stanton's death in this is just, it's so bad. But it's so bad that I kind of liked it. Like, it was just, <laughs> he's such a he's such an interesting guy anyways. Like, I've always loved Harry Dean Stanton. And it's just, like, <laughs> he's, like, the pain in the ass, double-cross, triple-cross guy. And then he just, like, steps on a landmine and dies in the hood of a shitty car. You know, like. <laughs> <laughs> totally. And he's like, hey, guys, wait a minute. Don't go that way. <laughs> Go this way. Boom. 
Oh, so good. No, no, this was after the, the cab blew in half. Oh, <laughs> yeah, right. The cab blows in half and everyone's fine. <laughs> Except for Cabby. Poor Cabby, you know, he didn't survive. That was so good. And like, I it, love that the cab it blows in half like perfectly. perfectly. It's like a half. perfectly straight cut. <laughs> oh. oh, God. No, the only note I had about Harry Dean Stanton's death was I just wrote brain bites it. And I can't remember what that was supposed to make me remember other than his death was so completely lame and 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 devoid of like tension of any kind. Like he was like running after one of them, going snake, no, and then he just hits the mine and he dies. And then like the best, the best, the best acting in the film happens after he dies, in my opinion. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, totally. And then Kimberly Cleavage is like, "I'm going to stay here and start shooting at the guy driving up the road." Oh yeah, she's like, "I'm I'm I'm not going out in the world without brain because <laughs> he was such a catch." There's there's a great long time wasting scene of Snake like you know earnestly trying to convince her to, to to come with. She just sort of gestures with her hand, and and he sort of looks down at the gun and just like hands it to her. <laughs> so classic uh i love i love that the the bridge is like the fucking gauntlet of death for like the entire like crew of protagonists or one after the other they all just fucking bite it like (laughs) they somehow make it through the entire movie like unscathed until just the last three minutes yeah exactly (laughs) well then they and then they also talk about how i mean this movie is so full of holes like they talk about how at one point, Brain's talking about how there was a guy that made it across. He made a map. Well, they're minds. Like, how, how do you make a map of, of what? Like, the negative space where there, he, you know for sure there are no minds? Fair enough. <laughs> I never thought of that. Like, if he didn't step on any minds, like, he doesn't know where they are. Well, exactly. And then how did he get the map into Manhattan? Was he like, he escaped and then he was like, oh, I got to get this map into the guys in Manhattan. He got to the top of the wall and then he folded it into a paper airplane and paper airplane yeah. exactly <laughs> and threw it and gave it a good chuck. Ben, <laughs> he put a paper clip on the front of it so it would go a little further. You know, totally. Yeah, no, no, Ben. What what you were saying about Maggie's death that that was the best acting in the in the film. Adrian Barbeau, who was John Carpenter's wife at the time. Really. <laughs> Yeah. There you go. Right. And who was in like every Carpenter film ever, man. Pretty much. You know? Yeah. Yeah. But she, she, when Brain dies, like, when Brain dies or bites it, as I put it in my notes, he, she's like starting to get emotional and, and Snake looks at her and it's like, it is the best scene in the film. Insert clip here because it's so worthy. <laughs> Maggie. He's dead. Come on. He goes, <laughs> Maggie, he's dead. <laughs> and that's it. Uh, oh, my God. And then he hands her the gun, and she's like, no words exchanged, because clearly none needed. <laughs> she's staying behind to shoot the gun at uh, Duke, who's... You know, feverishly, feverishly hurtling over the 69th Street Bridge in his chandelier-laden Cadillac. I lo- <laughs> love the chandeliers, dude. Segway. <laughs> so ridiculous. Yeah. 
I, I love it. I love it. He also, you don't notice it really until I only noticed it at the end. He, and he's got the chandeliers on the outside of the car. And then he has a very large, not full, not the same size as a basketball, but like um, like one magnitude smaller than a basketball disco ball hanging from his rearview mirror. I did not see that. That's awesome. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. It was huge. Like you could see it in this one scene when he's going across the bridge. I was like, wow. That's great. The, the car also had like a silver tinsel tail coming out of the trunk. Like a, <laughs> like a just married <laughs> fucking cans. No, it's like, it's like a, it was like a concentrated, like, like a, like a horse tail basically, like, but made out of like, you know, silver tinsel. <laughs> you can see it. You can see it from the top. Like when they're going over the bridge, <laughs> needed something to balance out the chandeliers. You know, my favorite thing about the chandeliers was like, in this, you know, I'll call it the anticlimactic final scene of the film, not the final scene, but like the final action scene when they're hurtling across the bridge, you know, Isaac Hayes is like driving the shit out of that caddy and he flies off the, off the sweet jump, misses all the mines, Maggie starts shooting at him and then he just rams into her, right? And she dies and there is like a literal like tanker truck full of blood underneath her. Oh God, yeah. And then they, and then that's not even the, what I'm getting to, Ben, because you're going to love this. They pan over to the car and Isaac Hayes gets out. Chandeliers don't have a scratch on them. <laughs> they don't have a single bit missing. There isn't a damn thing wrong They're with ready those to chandeliers. Go. <laughs> like, they attached them they really like, well. They didn't want to lose them. You know, I mean, they it was... did. <laughs> they were made out of, uh, you know, like the crystal from Superman's Fortress of Solitude or something. <laughs> man. Jesus, that's awesome, dude. The, the fake blood was ridiculous, though. <laughs> it was like, I love how you describe it as like a tanker full of it. There's just like so much, like really bad fake blood everywhere. Right. I mean, right? You just saw you saw it recently too, man. I mean, yeah. it was there was like a just gallons and gallons, <laughs> gallons of blood of man. it, man. Oh god! And she and she's laying in the middle of it with like no blood on her face. No. You know what I mean? Like it's all. It's just uh, you know another another great <laughs> not non oversight in this movie. I love the Duke, man. Isaac Hayes was such an interesting casting. It was like straight up trying to go with the black exploitation shaft kind of thing and. It was hilarious. Oh, definitely, man. Yeah. And I think like it's funny because I forgot that he was even in this film until like I saw the opening credits and I was like, Isaac Hayes. I was like, oh, shit. Oh, baby. Oh, yeah. That, that cat Shaft is a bad mother. Shut, uh, your, shut mouth. your mouth. But I'm talking about Shaft. He can do it. <laughs> so good. Yeah, you can go ahead and cut that part out. I don't know. Um, that's good stuff. So... Yeah, right. Exactly. I got to figure out like, I feel like it's like Bart Simpson, Ben. Like I have to figure out a way to trick him into cutting out things from the podcast. Because when we tell him to cut things out, he always absolutely leaves them in. Leaves it in. Yeah, Yeah, it's. uh, Well, I'll cut that silence anyways. If you. (laughs) And I just died. (laughs) (laughs) You did die. You're dead, dude. Right there. Uh, terrific. terrific. <laughs> somebody, if, if somebody could make a transcript of the noises that just came out of my mouth, that would be great. Uh, that's good stuff. Uh, so uh, we've spoken about the end of the movie at the beginning of the show. Maybe we should talk about the beginning of the movie at the end of the show. Yeah, I think that's a great idea. We were at the beginning of the movie, but I you, changed were, the topic. you got weary of my play-by-play, so we, we went in a different direction. One thing, one thing that kind of uh, blew me away a little bit and surprised me was... Uh, 
being the first time I've ever seen it, was the Air Force One flying into New York City and how kind of 9-11-ish it was. It kind of kind of threw me for a loop for a second there. Whoa, dude. I didn't even think about that. That's weird. Yeah, I was I was honestly so sort of flabbergasted to see the the World Trade Centers that uh, that the the whole jet thing was somehow lost on me. Um, and if I may, just sort of lighten the mood on this particular topic. Um, when they're watching the plane descending into New York, the plane hits the building and then disintegrates into like nine pieces, and then the pieces just disappear. <laughs> <laughs> And then you can see the pod, the pod going all the way down to the ground. No, the pod was so funny, dude. <laughs> Quick, get the president into the random red sphere. <laughs> they tuck him in with his briefcase and like pat him on the ass and like, see you later, sir. <laughs> well, that, that was one of one of my notes was, I, I mean, the, the notes are just like scene by scene because every scene has something like egregious or hysterical or both in it. And so- so in order, um, you know, the terrorist leader, when they cut to the terrorist leader on the radio in the plane, like her speech is just, uh. <laughs> wow, absurd, terrible delivery. She's like, we, the people of the resistance front of America will no longer tolerate this sort of dictatorship. And it's like really, really bad. And then they cut to. Dude, that's just how people talk in 1997. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah, right, exactly. So they so then <laughs> then they cut to a guy trying to quote break the door down, right? And it's he he's tapping. <laughs> Dude, he's like slapping a fucking hot dog on the door. <laughs> no, he's t- he's tapping tapping the butt of the M16 against the door twice. And the guy turned around and this is how much of a loser I am, okay? And a testament to my nerditude. I knew exactly who it was the second he turned around. And the actor's name that that so forcefully banged on the door is Stephen Ford. Okay. And Stephen Ford is the son of Gerald Ford. No way. Oh, wow. Yes way. And he has been in quite a few films. He usually plays a cop of some kind. And he was in um, Black Hawk Down. He was also in Heat. And uh, that was him. And I somehow knew it was him the second he turned around. And But the whole, like, trying to beat the door down by tapping on it was just, like, too much. By knocking on it gently. <laughs> too much. And then, like, I and then on top of all that, he runs to the back. And then we, with the camera follows. And we're in, like, the, the, the war room in the jet with the president. But there's no terrorists back there. The terrorists are only in the cockpit of the plane. <laughs> And so the, everybody else is just hanging out in the back having coffee. And then the president slaps the, the handcuff onto his wrist and he goes, get me to the pod. <laughs> Donald Pleasance. He was such a weird president, but kind of worked. Such a weird president. <laughs> but like, how, how did how did fucking Air Force One get hijacked? <laughs> I don't know. But just like some random chick or whatever. Like She's in the cockpit. It's locked. We don't know how she got in there. Like. It's just, it just seems rather like just random. Like, no, that's exactly what I was saying, dude. Yeah. It's like, you okay, so let's break this down. She's in the cockpit giving the speech of the People's Resistance Liberation Front from Hell, whatever. And you got Stephen Ford with an M16 banging on the door. <laughs> so, how did she get into the cockpit? Okay. So. <laughs> 
<laughs> so, that, no, that is really like it's a mind blowing paradox how that all happens. Right, but how did she get into the plane? It's it's not like it was a fucking commercial flight or something, you know? Like yeah, yeah. She's like, like hey, I just got my <laughs> ticket and I'm gonna go up there. This random lady in like overalls or whatever she was wearing. Yeah, exactly. Right. It didn't look like she was like she wasn't like dressed like a like a like a uh, flight attendant or something. You know what I mean? No, no. <laughs> like. Was she supposed supposed to be like a maintenance worker or something that like you know <laughs> stowed away on the landing gear as the fucking plane was taken off or something and you know oh, like, what like 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 what like Ian Holm in uh, Fifth Element dude <laughs> yeah, yeah totally <laughs> precisely you want some more you want some more I love I love how we're getting hung up on the the fact that this <laughs> random terrorist is the most unbelievable part of this movie. <laughs> I, I like that too. That's funny. Cause I mean, the list is just endless. You know what it is, is there's so many of them that when I was on both of my watchings of the movie, somehow that just didn't stick out to me <laughs> in the, in the, in the like, you know, cornucopia of like just complete nonsense and, you know, horn of plenty. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it, it just didn't stick out to me. So as you were describing the situation, I was like, oh yeah, wait a minute. Wait a second. How'd that bitch get in the cockpit? Like, <laughs> <laughs> that's why you have to watch it like two or three times, man. Oh my god! You know, you got to watch it two or three times so you can catch all the uh, insane discrepancies. So you, so you uh, can this, absorb this, the uh, depths of the lore of this really deep and meaningful <laughs> film. Exactly. <laughs> Mine all of the juicy bits of. Beautiful Film lore. Gold. Mm. <laughs> yeah, the lore. Oh my god. The Uzi. The Uzi with the scope is probably the most well thought out part of the film. So the Uzi with the scope. Yeah, that and Kurt Russell's uh final line to Maggie is probably my favorite part of the film. Yeah. Mm, see, I thought you were gonna say Kurt Russell's final line where he's like, it's Pliskin. It's just like, what are you talking about? <laughs> okay, man. That used that used to be that used to be my old favorite line. Well, it's you know, it's because he's like, Call me snake. Call me snake. Every every time uh <laughs> Lee Van Cleef calls him Pliskin, he's like, Call me snake. And then at the end of the movie he's like, Call me Pliskin. <laughs> names names Pliskin. You gonna kill me now? Nah, I'm too tired. <laughs> I even literally wrote that down word for word. You going to kill me, Snake? I'm too tired. Maybe later. <laughs> so funny. Like, yeah, okay. Okay, so did you guys notice when the plane starts going down, they do an exterior shot, quote unquote, <laughs> exterior shot, I use that term lightly, mm. of the plane flying towards Manhattan, and they show a guard watching the plane. Did you watch the guard watching the plane? They show a guard watching the plane. A guard on the wall? They show a guard on the wall watching the plane, and he has a full like riot face shield that you can't see through. Okay. So so the actor with his body shows that he's really watching the wall. And we have to have a clip of this and throw it into the show notes somewhere. Because it is the most ridiculous, overacted thing I have ever seen. Like the guy, the way he has his body like hunched down and the way he has his head up and he's like pretending to like really watch the plane is unbelievable. <laughs> All right, man. I'll see if I can find it. 
like unbelievably awesome. No, we'll I'll find it. I will find it. It it, it must be seen by everyone. Everybody, pause. Go to your show notes and scroll down to where it says <laughs> "There you go, guy on the wall." Just keep trying to mine something out of this film. That's worth your time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! Can we can we talk about the monitor banks and the lights and the walls of like? proto computers with lights flashing and wireframes everywhere like beep it boops. was just yeah beep boops all that man like every time like you saw a scene with like lee van cleef and tom atkins there were just huge monitor banks in the background with these lights like flashing in these different patterns like i mean this denoting that this was in fact a very serious command center. oh dude in the statue of liberty because of course it inside was. yeah <laughs> yeah of course yeah you, you you need a plethora of supercomputers uh for you know essentially a glorified guard shack for a prison yeah, exactly a prison where no <laughs> one even goes near it they just blow everything up like all they really yeah. needed was each give each guy a rocket launcher and you're done <laughs> yeah right exactly i miss i miss exactly uh, i miss this type of sci-fi tech like because we're in the age of the touchscreen and the smartphone, every single sci-fi movie now just has giant holograms and touchscreens. Like, I really miss the old like analog tech. It's I have such nostalgia for that. Yeah. Like, you know, THX eleven thirty eight or Star Wars or any of the like old school mm-hmm. dials and buttons and screens and radar sweeps and all that kind of shit. I just miss that stuff. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I do miss it too. But if I may, Chad. If you watch any of the new Star Trek films, the Abrams ones, especially the first one, like they kept a lot of that analog button tech in there. Mm, yeah. And they they just updated it, which I thought was really, really well done. Yeah. Maybe I just have like a special place in my heart for when like you got to give, the, you know, it's like set in the year 7000 and they're like, you got to give the DVD to the guy. And it's like, there's no DVDs in the year 7000, bro. Like, you know, like. Right. The amount of times that people write something in that, like, when you look back on it now, you're you're just like, this entire movie is based on some guy getting a thumb drive from point A to point B. It's like, we would just email it now and there wouldn't even be a movie. You know what I mean? <laughs> like fucking Johnny Mnemonic. You know what I mean? We put it in their brains. It's like, no, you just email it and there isn't a fucking film. No, you, you just Dropbox the file, man. I love I love that the MacGuffin in this film is a fucking cassette tape. Yeah, totally. Oh my god, right? <laughs> Just like a normal cassette tape that gets swapped out for a fucking jazz record or whatever. And I, I love how I love how Cabby randomly just ends up with it. Yeah, totally. He's like, oh, I got that. No, he trades Psycho Steve Buscemi guy for the Cabby hat. Yeah, Sonic the Hedgehog Steve Buscemi. Yeah. Oh, that's right. He does. Because brain brain goes in the room to like rescue the president, and like psycho boy doesn't want to let him in. And he's like, "How'd you get Cabby's head?" He's like, "I traded him something for it." Oh wow, you're right. Jeez, I thought that because Cabby was so he's so matter of fact. He's like, "Oh oh, I have that." Digging out the lore. <laughs> oh my god, dude! Ernest Borgnine in this movie is just terrific. <laughs> we got it. We got to touch on the fact that like. It doesn't get much more 80s than pulling the guts of the tape out at the end, too. Like, all angrily. Yeah. Oh, man. As he's walking away with a smoke in his mouth? Come on. Yeah, yeah. 
in the in the forties music is playing over the president's thing. Do you know what we didn't even talk about in the beginning that is so I mean it's it's especially funny to like the three of us, certainly me and Ben, is that since Manhattan has been basically destroyed and uh repurposed as a wasteland for prisoners, um, this world's uh you know, this fate of the world summit that the president is going to is in Hartford, Connecticut. And they mention it <laughs> <Yeah>. like <laughs> 300 times in the beginning. He's like, I've got to get to the summit in Hartford. Well, the president's on his way to the summit in Hartford. And I was like, are they for real? <laughs> I just thought that was funny. Totally. Um, here's a great tidbit about this film. You know who wrote this movie? No. Jamie Lee Curtis. Nick Castle. Nick Castle. No, Nick Castle. And Nick Castle was the guy that played Mike Myers in Halloween. Well, there you go. Eh? 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 Little, little nugget there for you. That's a Kev Nug. Little Kev Nug. <laughs> coming at you. Coming at you. Little Kev Nug coming at you. Uh, um, all right, let's let's can I just take I just want to take a quick second to write down that uh, that's where I died right there cuz nobody cared about <laughs> yeah. that. Yeah. Right? <laughs> I think you're dead. Yeah. Can we talk about how the entire movie was filmed in St. Louis? <laughs> oh, please. I can only imagine how annoying this movie must have been to to watch if you're actually from New York City. Because all the places that are supposed to be, you know, like, uh, whatever they go to, like, what's supposed to be the New York Public Library, which is where, like, Brain is staying with, uh, you know, Tits McGee. And, uh, <laughs> you know, it's like, <laughs> it's like the municipal library in, in St. Louis or whatever, you know, or like, then they're in, like, the train station and, you know, like, it's like whatever, you know, train station in uh, in St. Louis and, you know, like apparently maybe supposed to be like Grand Central Station or something, you know. And then like all the bridges that they're on or whatever, like all that stuff is just like if you were from New York, it must have been like, that's not fucking this. That's not the 69th Street Bridge. You know? <laughs> yeah, I, I didn't. I uh, that's a really good. That's a good bit, uh, Ben. I didn't realize that this movie was filmed in St. Louis. But I mean, when you think about it. And I, what I, my mind jumps to is like somebody, John Carpenter or somebody going to somebody in New York and saying, uh, we need to film this movie here. It's called Escape from New York. <laughs> and like them reading the script and just laughing and being like, yeah, no. <laughs> May I suggest calling St. Louis? <laughs> yeah. If there's one group of people that'll be super forgiving, it's New Yorkers. <laughs> oh, man. No, there was just like a, a group of blocks or whatever in St. Louis that had like there, there was a huge fire or whatever. And they hadn't uh, they hadn't like it was just kind of like a wasteland. They hadn't like started to rebuild or anything yet. So they just used that whole area as. Oh, yeah. nice. Hmm. Nice. <laughs> we just we just used this old neighborhood that was destroyed by gang violence. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was kind of, uh, you know, our, our imitating life kind of a thing. <laughs> Dude. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Good times, man. Oh, my God. They're, the love that this movie gives out, it just, <laughs> it just keeps on going, man. I mean, my God, dude. Van Cleef is so casual when he's talking about rescuing the president. It's like they're talking about what they're going to have for lunch. You know what I mean? <laughs> he's like, hmm, should we rescue the president? <laughs> you know, it's like... And then they're like, you know, and then, and then one of like the all time best tropes. So like when he finally gets, pl like here we are still at the beginning of the film. Like when he finally gets Pliskin in there, cause they, they never talk about why they have to use Pliskin. It's just like, he's like, well, we got to rescue the president. Well, 
I guess we should probably see if there's like a badass prisoner here who <laughs> used to be a total badass that we can get to rescue the president because we don't have anybody else. Because <laughs> Tom Atkins was like, I can't. I'm too busy smoking. Yeah. The other guy's like, yeah, I'm on break soon. So, uh. <laughs> so then, so then, so then they do like, uh, you know, like another, and again, this is my like favorite word as of right now for the next like long while. The uh, the prototrope of reading off the list of badass accomplishments when they finally drag Snake into Hauk's office. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Van Cleef, like, picks up this piece of paper and starts reading off the list of why Snake Plissken is such a badass. <laughs> is the, uh, the prototrope for this to come in a zillion, zillion movies. I mean, my God, right? Yeah, totally. Yes. Yes. <laughs> and, and then, and even better than that is that Van Cleef's first line to him when he's when he, uh, I think it's when they're in the office, is he goes, "I'm ready to kick your ass out of the world." <laughs> oh my god, it's too uh, good. I just raised my eyebrows with this look on my face, like, hmm, the world, huh? Hmm. <laughs> I mean, nobody's nobody's ever taken it to that level before. Oh my god! And then, like you know, there's like these a lot of tropey lines that I don't know if they were invented in this movie, but I feel like they might have been like Snake saying, "I don't give a fuck about your war," <laughs> you know, like president of what? Come on! And then, and yeah, right, exactly. And then, and then, yeah, president of what? And then Van Cleef, like he fires back with, "You're all I've got," <laughs> you know. It's like. Okay. They're trying to play it so fucking serious and they're just Oh my god. Yeah. Not delivering oh, yeah. at all. <laughs> not delivering at all. I don't know what it was. It was like they, they, they used some sort of like uh serum or something to like rob all of the uh performers of their energy when they were acting because it was not coming out in the performances, man. <laughs> Oh wow! No. What about the? Uh, you know what I also loved was it in the beginning uh, when they're talking about New York, they're talking about how like all the inhabitants converted uh, everything to steam power. <laughs> so random, like the fucking this the cigarette smoking perm guy that was in the studio was like, "Well, wait a minute, how do they drive around?" It's like, "Oh, we need to write something in." <laughs> right, but that was the beauty of the movie is that so they talk in the beginning about how they all the the you know the clever inmates of, you know, prison Manhattan have converted everything to steam and then throughout the entire film all they do is talk about gas. Yeah, they're like, "Ah, I got to get some gas from Brain." <laughs> and he's got an oil he's got like an oil derrick in the back <laughs> fucking sucking oil out of the fucking museum exactly. of natural history or whatever the fuck it is of the, uh, yeah of the saint of the saint louis public library yeah <laughs> it's like hey, i found some oil in the library guys let's pump yeah. that shit out i don't i don't know what this means exactly but this is one of my notes i wrote how, there's, how, there's exactly one steam engine in the whole movie sorry kev sorry no, 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 no. Go ahead. Go ahead. That was still what they, yeah, there was one steam engine in the film. They showed it at the very end of the movie yeah. and Snake shot it. Yeah. Is that what the one yeah, you're talking about? Exactly. Totally. Because, 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 because of what Chad said, they were like, I think what they did was they put that in the script and then they like got through the entire shooting of the film and they were like, oh, wait. Shit. We didn't put any steam engines in. Oh, shit. <laughs> we, we said everything was steam. We got to put a steam engine in there. Well, let's just get Snake to shoot one. Okay. Yeah, maybe, maybe nobody will notice that the cars run on gas or that Cabby asks Brain for gas like 10 times. It's fucking ridiculous. 
such good stuff. Oh, so good though, man. Um, I wrote this. I wrote this note here. How could shit still be on fire <laughs> like twenty years later? <laughs> <laughs> right. I mean, like, like there's just like random chunks of buildings, pieces of buildings, whatever. Like stuff is just like on fire always. It's like where? How does it on fire? Like where do they get the the accelerant? And where do they even get something like the way to light it? <laughs> I love the uh, I love the opener where you know the cops come in on the helicopters and land and start running across the street and Sonic the Hedgehog comes out and he's like you got three minutes three seconds to turn around and he's got like the president's ring finger in his handkerchief or whatever yeah it's so funny that that scene yeah it is it's great it's like it is it's like less than a minute after the president lands in the pod they've already chopped off a finger and they're basically like fuck off cops. This is so funny. Exactly. And and uh that was when I was convinced that that guy was Steve Buscemi. Mm, fair enough. And then and then later I was like it's Steve Buscemi's or Steve Buscemi's cousin or whatever. I am the walrus. Shut the fuck up, Donnie. Yeah, cuckoo cuckoo chew, man. That's where I died. He, he that guy was actually that guy was great. He did he had a lot of like he didn't have a lot of lines, but he really played up like the weird kind of like crazy kind of post apocalyptic prison world person, you know, like he really put a lot of energy into that. I appreciated that. But he looked like he was going to be like he he looked like you know how there's always like the final boss fight, but just before the final boss fight there's like a henchman fight. It, he looked to me like he was being set up to be the henchman fight the whole time, and then he just gets like shot in the gut at the end, and he's it's like that's it. He's like he's like, <sighs> and then he ends up fighting some giant fucking Andre the Giant wrestler with a Russian mustache and fucking baseball bats him. <laughs> no, it was it was Zangief's brother, dude. Ben, do that noise again. <sighs> <laughs> That's the noise he makes in the movie. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's one of his many ways of communicating. But seriously, <sighs> I, I don't know who the actor was, but that might have been the best performance of the whole movie. Just just that character, period. Sonic the Hedgehog. That's what I'm saying. That Ben, that's what I meant a minute ago. That's what I was saying. I was being serious. Like that guy really put a lot of energy into making like Yo, there's yeah. something weird and menacing and and you know. <laughs> Totally. Yeah. I don't, no, he was legit, man. He he really dialed it in. I I thought that was really good. He had that. Uh, fuck, I'm trying to think of the name. Was the Road Warriors the first movie? What's the second movie? The Road Warriors, the second movie. Mad Max is the first one. He kind of reminds. I I don't know when when those came out, but he remi- he kind of reminds me as like the prototype for a lot of the Mad Max style henchmen. Except Mad Max came out before this movie, but yes, I totally get what you're saying. Well, then that then they're then they lifted from it, you know, because like oh god, yeah, you know, like he 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 lifts from it, but I think it's like it fits like having a Mad Max style crazy person in in this movie just makes so much sense. Absolutely, man. Yeah, well, there's a whole whole lot of post-apocalyptic weirdos running around in the city. <laughs> yeah, they're all just like slinking around and they never do anything. This is like Snake wandering down a street for five minutes silently and then like little dudes scurrying in the background and nothing else fucking happens. He's like, nothing okay. happens. Then he goes into a diner and makes out with a chick who gets pulled through the floor by zombies. No, she doesn't. He doesn't make out with her, but it, it that part is they, weird. They, they come close, yeah, and the fucking chock full of nuts. 
<laughs> That's right. Dude, the, the coffee shop is called Chalk Full of Chalk Nuts. Chalk Full of Nuts. Fuck. This is a classic. I got to say, man, like, I was delighted throughout this whole movie. I mean, it kind of fell apart in the middle a bit, but, like, it was a delightful film. You know, like, it really, like, I wasn't expecting much, but it was, I was fucking pretty stoked. Like, it really is the proto trope, you know, movie. It really just hit all of the right notes. I totally agree, man. And I mean, it. You're right. It Ben nailed it. This this movie. The title of this episode needs to be Prototrope. <laughs> you just coined a term, Ben. Rife with '80s prototropes. Prototropes, bro. I'm telling you, this this movie. Like, here's one of my favorite things about this movie: the amount of time. Like, okay, so Pliskin. It's Snake. Is like okay. Sorry. Call me Snake. I love. Call me Snake. I love that. I love that you just did that. You just, you totally caught me off guard, and it worked. <laughs> that was great. Okay, so Snake names Pliskin is. <laughs> I, I'm even happier that you just did that. I was like, I hope when I say Snake, I I literally was just thinking, I hope when I say Snake, Jarhigo goes, call me Pliskin. Uh. And you nailed it, bro. Um, okay, so Pliskin, according to Lee Van Cleef's rundown of what a badass he is, he's like some sort of ex-Delta Force member. Um, and he's, you know, been all over the world. He's a super-powered badass, all this sort of right. thing. Yeah, did, did a tour in like Leningrad or some shit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. The tour in Leningrad. Let's not forget about that. Yeah. Uh, then also, so then he gets into prison Manhattan and everybody either knows him or has heard of him in the amount of times, the amount of times people say in this movie, Hey, I know you're snake Pliskin, aren't you? <laughs> it's like, I love that. <laughs> I can't like, I cannot, I could not get over that. Like, like even, even Cabby says, and I, I, I might've screwed, I might've got this mixed up, but I'm not, I'm not really not sure about this. He says, snake, when did you get in? Yeah, he did. Yeah. Like, I, I don't, what are you, you guys like bros from back in the day? Cause later Cabby says, I've been driving cab here for 30 years since before it was a prison. So how the hell would he even know snake? He says it like they're, they're old buddies. He just, he's just a snake Pliskin fanboy, like full on. <laughs> he's like, I know you. He, he, You're Snake Pliskin. <laughs> hey, Snake. Yeah, Ben. He had the trading card. Don't go walking. Don't go walking around down there. It's not safe. <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. If I told you once, I told you a hundred times. Don't go in the Bowery after dark. <laughs> Just like Cobra Commander was the nanny in the Hasbro MCU crossover, he cabby was snake Pliskin's nanny when when snake was six or seven years old and so 30 years go by and he runs into it again that's what it was <laughs> oh god yeah that that whole thing just cracked me up through the entire movies <laughs> you're snake Pliskin. <laughs> <laughs> i was like where's cabby he's fucking losing it <laughs> 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 oh my god there you have it folks <laughs> cabby was snake plissken's nanny back when he was a kid end of movie end of podcast <laughs> oh my god that is like oh, staggeringly brilliant chad well done 
Oh, boy, that was funny. I mean, let's be fair. If you had Cabby as your nanny growing up, you would have turned into Snake Plissken, too. Do you think he had Do you think he had the eye patch when he was six? Or Yeah. Yeah, if Cabby's, Cabby poked his fucking eye out one time. He was like, hey, Snake, we're going to go out, and I'm going to get you an eye patch today. <laughs> Sorry about your eye, Snake, but you shouldn't back, back sass me. And he was like, name's Plissken. Oh, my God. The name's Plissken. Uh, yeah, it was that, or I thought you were dead. <laughs> Oh, yeah. I just, God, man, I swear you're like reading my mind. I was literally just about to say when Maggie says, heard you were dead. Like, how? Is there like a newsletter? No, Kev. Kev. Is there a newsletter inside the prison? Kev, Kev, the fires, man. It's smoke signals. That's how they communicate. (laughs) Of course, right. Burning tire piles. Of course. What is it? It's like, what does that smoke signal say? Ah, it says Snake Pliskin's fucking dead. Oh, Snake. Oh, yeah. No kidding. Hmm. Isn't he that guy that uh, had a tour of duty in Leningrad? Yeah, I think so. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Because every everybody knows, like all the all the uh, yeah, everybody's it's public knowledge now. All of the uh, the the JSOC, all the JSOC secret missions or whatever, man. All the covert ops, the classified government operations. <laughs> I, I love that. I love that Isaac Hayes. Doesn't know who he is, but as soon as he's like, "Oh, Snake Plissken, I heard you were dead." Like, <laughs> yeah, 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 he does. Like somehow he doesn't know that he's Snake Plissken, but he does know that Snake Plissken is dead. Yeah, I loved that part. You're exactly right. He's like, he's like, "Who's this?" And then he's like, "Oh, I heard of you." Like, like you know, he doesn't want to be left out. Like everybody else in, uh, you know, proto post apocalyptic Manhattan knows who Snake Plissken is, and the Duke doesn't want to be. You know what I wrote as a note, actually, Ben? Oh God. Okay, here's the note I wrote. the The Duke is like, "Who are you?" But he's the king of of post apocalyptic prison Manhattan. He knows everything that goes on in post apocalyptic prison Manhattan. How the hell does he not know who Snake Plissken is? How is he the last person to figure out that this guy is Snake Plissken? Exactly. I, you know, similar to the terrorists and the airplane guys, I don't think we should get too hung up on uh, <laughs> the logic of this thing. <laughs> oh, my God. I I can't believe you just said that to me. I'm kidding. Oh, man. Yeah, yeah, I know. It's, it's, it's just, it's just fun. And I love, I love how Snake and Brain are old bros. He walks in and he goes, Harold Hellman. <laughs> Nobody calls me Harold. And then he goes... Right, and exactly, he got real pissed about that. He's like, "You, um, he's like, you, you, you betrayed me, Harold. You left me for dead four years ago." He's like, "This is just four years ago, and Brain has already built this like whole empire inside Manhattan." Oh, yeah. And I love that he says, "You were late." <laughs> yeah. Like, like, <laughs> oh, that explains it. <laughs> you, you left me for dead. We were friends, <laughs> and Brain goes, "You were late." <laughs> That was that was good. I like that. Yeah, that was really choice. I mean, that was like that's up there in the uh pantheon of choice lines from this film. Terrific lines by Nick Castle. Yes, terrific li- I lo- I love the Secretary of Well, speaking of great lines, I love the Secretary of State his interaction with Lee Van Cleef when they're trying to decide at the end whether they should just like abort the mission or whatever, kill Snake or I don't even know what they were talking about. 
And he's like, and Lee Van Cleef's like, I have authority here. This is my prison. And he's like, I override all that. And like, I mean, the scene had just, again, so utterly devoid of energy whatsoever. It was like, and then they did, then they just like, and then Lee Van Cleef just, he walks away to go do something else. And I thought like he was walking off the set because that guy's delivery was so bad and that this was like a take that just made his way into the movie that shouldn't have been there or something, man. Nah, what he was out, he was going to take another smoke break so they could film another smoke break. No, it wasn't Tom Atkins, but oh, you, know, you mean Lee Van Cleef was. Yeah, yeah totally. Yeah. <laughs> oh my God. You're right, dude. I, I have gotten caught in a logic loop of this uh, escape from New York madness. Mm, it happens. It's starting to affect my brain. Speaking of the most logical plot points in the movie, we have glossed over one of the most important bits, which is the radioactive isotopes put in his veins of his neck by some weird scientist dude that then gets attached to a countdown timer on his fucking wrist. Like, that was amazing. That was amazing. And and actually, I wrote that down as that. I thought that was pretty innovative, actually, because that was not the sort of thing that we started seeing until much later in science fiction films with like implanted trackers and that sort mm-hmm. of thing. You know what I mean? So I was kind of like, ah, that was pretty cool, man. I just love the timer bracelet, though. Like, <laughs> he's trying to go all covert and he like gets, you know, snagged by the Duke or whatever and then finds his fucking timer bracelet. Like, it's totally subtle, you know? Like, why do you have a countdown thing on your wrist, bro? <laughs> <laughs> well, no, no, no. Remember, remember the beauty of the bracelet was that he it actually had a cover on it, and the cover was the head of an eagle. No, wasn't that the beacon button thing, not the countdown timer? Yeah, it was. Uh, but but um, he gets it back after his his fight with the uh, Russian dude. Andre the Giant. Whatever. Yeah. What did you say, Dalsim or whatever from Street Fighter? Is that what you said before, Kev? No, Zangief. Zangief. I said oh, Zangief. Zangief. Yeah, he was the Russian guy. <laughs> that was such... I'm sorry I didn't laugh earlier. That was amazing. He was totally Zangief. Yeah, it was. It was amazing. I loved it. Zangief. Um, I, I, think the, I think the guy's name was actually Ox Baker. <laughs> like the character <laughs> name is. or the guy? That is his is name. No, the guy's, the guy's name, actual yeah. name. The actor's name was Ox Baker. That's a pretty cool name. That's a terrific name right there. It's almost as good as Snake Plissken, really. Really? It really, (laughs) really is, man. It's like maybe that could be his sidekick in like the next film. I mean, forgetting that Escape from L.A. even exists. That Oh, my God. Yeah, we're going to have to do that one now. I just totally, I just had total recall about Escape from L.A. Steve Buscemi is in (laughs) Escape from L.A. Okay, there you go. Uh, I, I have a pretty good, I have a pretty strong feeling that Jarhigo's laughing at the fact that I didn't realize that. Until right now. Uh, a couple couple little things I want to talk about. You know what was awesome? Was when they stole the car from one of the Duke's guys. Uh, yep. <laughs> the family truckster. And they drive away and you realize, no, it's a freaking Ford Country Squire, man. I was like, and I my note that I wrote in my notes was, rolling in a country squire. <laughs> <laughs> was that a National Lampoon's car? Yeah, same vehicle. Well, I mean, it was the Wagon Queen family truckster, but it was a Ford Country Squire that they turned into the Wagon Queen family right, truckster. Right, exactly. Perfect. But yeah, that was a country squire. The other thing, too, about Duke, like we, we've talked about the music in this this film, but when Duke makes his first entrance, like right around the time that they steal the country squire, 
the music is so good when he makes his entrance. And then to make it even better, they start adding a ton of cowbell. <laughs> and that cowbell just keeps on going and going and going. And it makes just everything more awesome. Like the whole, like that whole like five to 10 minute stretch is just great. And just full of cowbell. That is exactly what I was going to say. Are you serious? <laughs> yes, exactly what I was going to say. I couldn't have said it better. Yeah, the, the the music being awesome and the fact that like all of a sudden the cowbell comes in. <laughs> so good. So good. And it's like you could almost picture like Will Ferrell in that get up, like working that cowbell, like seriously. Can we talk about the whole uh the whole like gauntlet scene where they're in the family truckster and they're like, you know, they they, they gotta take like the alternate route and they go down the alley and there's like all these freaks hanging out and they like to start chucking rocks and shooting arrows and shit. Like, they're going so fucking slow through that whole thing. Yeah, you just run people like, over. Yeah, like, what are you, afraid to hit somebody, Snake? Jesus, fucking, it's the vertical pedal on the fucking right, man. Let's go. Like, and it's just, it's just, like, putting through there. Like, To be fair, that's probably as fast as that car can go, though. No, but at the very end, he, like, he turns around and, and fucking floors it and smashes through that fucking barricade. And it's, like, all of a sudden, like, I'm like a bat out of hell. <laughs> No, he's right, man. Exactly right. Like, what, the thing only goes fast in reverse? Like, what the fuck is wrong with this thing? He, like, demo derbies the thing. Right. Well, no, my, my, my observation was the opposite, Jarhigo. It was like, why are they chucking all this shit at the car? Why don't they just press inward, and then he'll have to stop the car just because he can't, literally cannot plow through the sheer number of bodies that are around him? Because there was, like... A couple of hundred people throwing trash and rocks at the car. Yeah. They could have just flipped yeah. the thing over. Yeah. <laughs> but again, you know, this is part three in our three part series of uh, terrorists <laughs> and <laughs> like we're, we're seeking some serious logic here. <laughs> no, but again, but I mean, I'm sort of, I'm, I'm like, this plays to what Jarhigo is saying that like the, the car, <laughs> the car was moving so slow. All they had to do. Oh, like step, step in, in front, front of, it. of it, and the thing would have stopped. And, and yeah. yeah, Snake would have rolled the window. I mean, like, excuse me, guys, uh, yeah, we just need to get through here instead of running the guy over. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he definitely wouldn't have started firing that uh, modified Mac Ten at anybody. No, no, because he didn't have clean line of sight with that scope. You know, you need to just really look through that thing. <laughs> well, exactly. Oh, man. Oh. Um, you know what, guys? I can never figure out where did the limp come from. Did I miss something? Didn't he get shot with an arrow in the leg or something? He got shot with an arrow in the leg when he was trying to save the president. Yeah. Yeah, on the train, like just before uh, okay. the train scene. All right. Yeah. Okay. I didn't. I didn't realize that because I was like, I, I must have missed that somehow. And then all of a sudden, I'm like, why is he limping? <laughs> like, it's just this limping is ridiculous. It's a terrific fake limp from uh, Kurt Russell. There, it's just brilliant. Can we talk about that scene though? Because he goes in to save the president. He he ghosts one. He ghosts the first guy, and the president's like looking at it, and the other guy's like, "What the fuck are you looking at?" He turns around and he shoots fucking Kurt Russell in the leg with the arrow, and Kurt Russell fucking hucks a knife straight into his forehead, and the dude does the classic knife in the forehead face. <laughs> you know, like like every eighties movie where a dude gets a fucking knife in the forehead, they like tense up and their eyes get big. They like, kind of like look up. Yeah, the eyes roll back a little bit. Yeah, the eyes roll back a little bit, and then they like slowly fall over backwards. You know, the <laughs> guy executes it perfectly. And the Academy Award goes to Knifehead Guy. 
<laughs> totally. That's not that's not a prototrope, man, but that's a straight up trope. But yeah, you're right. That is so classic knife in the forehead. Yeah. Yet another 80s prototrope. <laughs> I don't know if it's a prototrope, man, but it's it's for real. I love the sound of that though. It's like, oh, that's so classic 80s knife in the forehead. <laughs> <laughs> the old 80s knife in the forehead. That's it. No, it 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 happens in big trouble in little China. Yeah. It does. It does exactly right. And John Wick. John Wick takes some of that on too. I think. Yeah, yeah. It's been, it's been, it's, it's a, it's a Goldie man. It's, it's been there throughout the years. Oldie but Goldie. Yeah. Um. Let's talk about the. Um. Can we talk about the ring fight for a second? Oh yes. Oh please. The nail bat ring fight. <laughs> so, so, so limping snake with what we now know he has a tattoo of a giant cobra on his stomach that I'm assuming goes all the way down to his penis. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like where where's the tail end up? Like <laughs> better. And I love how he has not a hair on his body and he looks like he just stepped out of the shower. They drag him into the ring and he starts to fight Zangief. <laughs> with bats like but like swords yeah they're they're having a bat fight but it's like with swords then all of a sudden they both get garbage can tops (laughs) then they get the trash can lids i mean it's great and then the best part about the entire fight i love that they're just beating the shit out of each other's trash can lid with the fucking spiked bats like that's all that's going on it's like one guy hits the other guy's trash can hit and then it's right back at you like they're just like whack (laughs) i love that exactly i mean it was like it was like the uh it was like a textbook, um, like choreographed, like uh, sword fight. You know what I mean? Okay, now you hit, now you hit his shield, and then he's gonna hit your shield, and then you're gonna <laughs> hit his you. shield again. Yeah. Um. So the ring fight. Um. The best part I, about it that I loved was that th- when he walks in, everybody's booing him, and they're cheering for Zangief. Right then. The second he he swings the bat and sinks the nails in the bat into the back of the guy's head and he dies, they all start chanting his name like they love him. Oh, yeah. Total. Like. <laughs> instant turnaround. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, like instantaneous turnaround. Like not like two people, like the entire crowd in that place. Yeah. Yeah. And like Chef is sitting up there like he doesn't really do anything. He's just kind of hanging out. And the dude comes up to tell him that the president's been taken away. And they all just get up and bolt and just leave fucking Pliskin standing in the ring with his fucking shirt off. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. Uh, Oh, my God. This movie is just like uh, this treasure trove of tragedy, man. (laughs) And I love that Zangief just is just weighed up in the fucking ropes with the fucking bat stuck in the back of his head and like nothing like he's still like Pussy gets out of the ring he's still there like just spread eagle Hanging against out, the ropes man. yeah nobody nobody <laughs> cared you know it just goes to show you ben nobody really cared about him he uh the funny thing about that is that like it's the most like anticlimactic ending for such like a giant character like that who's like you know looks like this indestructible person who's gonna like smash you know snake into like a bone dust you know what I mean and then the guy just like he just kind of leans over on the ropes like no big noisy crashing fall to the ground or anything like that just falls on the ropes and everybody's like all right what are we doing next (laughs) (laughs) everyone just bounces no he just gets hung up yeah it was like snake 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 (laughs) but 
I love that the fight just seemingly goes somewhere after like, you know, what 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 feels like an eternity of them just <laughs> bashing each other's fucking trash can with their fucking bat, like back and forth. Like, like they're not even trying to fight. They're just like they're it's like they're like doing a dance or like, you know, playing playing a beat or something. They're just like Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> You know what I mean? No, that's exactly yeah, that's exactly what happens because they don't they don't like they're just it's bat to bat and bat to bat and bat to bat and then they get the lids and then it's just like bat on lid, bat on lid, bat on lid. Like neither of them takes like any hits, right? Except except for the one sixteen penny nail to the head that kills the guy. I think he gets him in the nuts first. Ooh, I think you're right. Actually, that would hurt. Yeah, that that would hurt. I gotta say, like when they when they go downstairs, I think. Either from the ring fight, or it's either there or from the top of the World Trade Center. After those guys push the plane off, he's like, "Brain's like, I got a car snake. It's right downstairs." And they go downstairs. President opens the door of the car, <clears throat> and what's his face gets in, and, he, and he's like, "Oh, the car's dead. It won't start." So they open the hood, and there's a guy <laughs> in the engine so bay. Funny. And my biggest question is, where did the engine go? Where the fuck did the engine go? Exactly. Did I crack the fuck up when I saw that? <laughs> He's like, I'm going to take the engine out so I can hide in here with my makeshift crossbow. <laughs> with my crossbow. <laughs> right? So, yeah, uh, I just, I pictured them, like, picking up the hood and the and the cables are gone. But they pick up the hood and the engine's fucking missing. <laughs> it's just like, what the fuck? Right. There's, like, a dude in there with a crossbow and a mullet. <laughs> uh, oh, my God. Oh, man. I know we, um, I know we talked <laughs> a crossbow and a mullet. Did you say crossbow or cross bro? <laughs> I think I think if you have a mullet, it might be a cross bro. <laughs> <laughs> Whoa, I like that a lot. You just uh, coined another term, Ben. Congratulations. This is your night. We we pretty much talked about the end of the film in the beginning, like with crossing the bridge and Maggie's death and like the greatest line in the entire movie. But um there was a couple of things at the end that were just so so fantastic. Can I chime in with one real quick? Um, yeah. Oh, yeah, please go ahead. So I love this might be one of the ones you had too, but I love the fact that the president shoots Duke from the top of the wall. Like that was so freaking hilarious and amazing. Yes. The president was like bruised and battered and beaten the whole movie and kind of like whimpering like a dog. And then he's like, fuck it. I'm just going to f- shoot the shit out of this guy. <laughs> It was so good. Yeah. And he weaves, he weaves Snake just hanging on the wall, too. He just he shuts the fucking thing. But there's no reason for him to do it. But he just shuts it off and leaves Snake hanging on the wall. And Snake's like, whoa, what the fuck? And he's like, you're the Duke. You're A number one. <laughs> it just lights him up. Just lights up poor Chef. He really loses it, man. Duke has Snake's gun. Snake is on top of the pile of garbage waiting for the winch to come back down. Okay, like Snake is lit up by floodlights that are shining on the wall. Duke shoots and misses Snake completely, even though Snake waits like a minute to dive out of the way. He misses completely. Then there's two guys on the wall that are completely shrouded in darkness. The Duke looks up at them and he blows them away with just a couple of rounds. (laughs) Both of them dead. Then as Snake is laying in the trash and Duke is about to like move in for the final kill, the president grabs one of the guard's guns from the wall and goes completely mental. And like he doesn't just shoot Duke. He like empties the entire clip into the guy, man. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Dude, yeah. He loses it. 
And then he goes and sits down on a chair and gets makeup put on his face. He's like, okay, time for my television appearance. I'm, I'm, I'm going on the television in two, two and a half minutes. <laughs> oh, man. Such a great performance from, from Donald Pleasance in that. So great. You know, like half the, everybody that was in this movie was in Halloween. Including the writer. Was that Halloween? Yeah. Yeah, exactly right. The, uh, I liked, I kind of liked the uh, cheesiness of Snake giving the president an opportunity to say thank you or whatever. And instead the president's like, I'm busy, sweetheart. And then he swaps the tapes out because of that. I kind of thought that was funny. Yeah, that was funny. I'm 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 sorry. I'm going on television in in, in two and a, two and a half minutes. Thank you for saving my life. The old tape switcheroo. Yeah, I think I think Snake had the original tape the whole time. He handed him off the thing, and he was going to give it back to him if the president gave him a good answer to his question. Yeah, yeah. But the president didn't. The president was a dick. Oh, a lot of good people died back there on that bridge. What did you think about that? <laughs> <laughs> I just wanted to know what you thought about that. And he's like, well, I, I, I would just like to thank all, all of the people, the people, all, all of the people who, who helped me escape. I, w- w- this country's in a, in a debt, debt, of, debt of gratitude to all of them. Yeah, that whole thing is great. He's like, he's like thank you for your help. Any, anything I can do for you. And Snake's like, just a minute of your time. <laughs> <laughs> I just have one question. <laughs> <laughs> so good. Um, so uh, let's rate we... it. Rating. Let's rate it, right, Ben? Unless you have anything you wanted to add to this madness. Oh man, like I said, we could go on all night about this shit, but uh, we gotta we gotta put a bow on it at some point. So now is as good a time as any. <laughs> but we gotta go to bed. All right. So let's rate it. What are we doing? Letters, numbers, what? Nah, dude. It's a movie. It's numbers. Well, for me, it's numbers. You can do whatever the fuck you want. I understand. I understand. No, no, no. We'll we'll abide by your. All right, I'll go. For, I'll go first. Go, Chad. <laughs> um, I'm looking at my algorithm. So on my on my algorithm, I've got uh, Army of Darkness, Wayne's World, Airplane, Spies Like Us, Real Genius, um, all amazing films. Yep, Blazing Saddles, that kind of stuff. I kind of feel like it falls amongst those for me. Um, okay. Originally, when I was watching the film, I was kind of like. The movie that jumped out was uh, Beverly Hills Cop. I was like, is this better than Beverly Hills Cop? And then I was like, yeah, I don't know. I don't think so. But I think this movie, for me, falls just underneath Real Genius and just above Speed and Blazing Saddles. And I recognize that this is a really shitty movie, but I think like the fact that I'd never seen it and the fact that it is so proto-80s, it really kind of like hit the right spot for me. So even though it's a shitty movie, I'm willing to give it some bonus points. So real genius and speed are in the 5.5 range. So I'm going to give it a 5.5. Terrific. (laughs) Which on my algorithm is good movie. Oh, that just blew my mind. Ben, you were about to say something right before he started that. What was that thought? Yeah, well, I, I think you kind of touched on it, Chad, but this movie gets, I, I, I want to give it a high rating and it's not because it's a great movie, but this is, this is a kind of a so good it's bad episode. I mean, so bad it's good episode, you know, and I think those movies really just kind of fit into their own. No doubt. Space, yeah. Space, you know. Yes. It's like the, the movie is terrible, but there's so much like magic at work in the periphery of it and all the, all the things that are happening that are, you know, you can't like, 
Yeah, I know it's it's not the fucking Godfather, but it's brilliant. <laughs> it's just terrific, you know. I mean, you can't you can't try to do that. Like something like that can only happen when you know you're trying to be really serious about a movie and you're just totally missing it at every turn. And you, yeah, you you don't you don't invent proto tropes; they happen. The, there's just yeah, there's so much gold in there, man. Jesus, it's a it's like a powerhouse of just. I'm speechless. Weird. Oh, I know. Yeah, I'm with you on that <laughs> speechlessness, brother. So I don't know what I, what I want to rate this movie as. It's I don't know. I'm not taking it seriously. You know, I mean, like if I was seriously going to give it a rating, I would have to say that maybe it's like, you know, a four or something. Yeah. But but I right. I kind of want to give it like a nine. <laughs> yeah, yeah. In 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 what I'm for what I'm talking about, you know, like in that category, like I want to give it that. You know, it's just. Well, I think that you you were generous with, you know, Marvel movies and stuff, for example. And I think I think that you ended up with, you know, some of these Marvel movies in the eights. And mm. you could you could pretty make a pretty strong argument that it would beat the the Marvel movies for the sake of like the nostalgia and like the the uniqueness of the film. I think that, that like you're you're kind of commenting on wanting to give it a nine, like it fits with that. Hmm. Yeah, I don't know. I, I I think I said it pretty well. I mean, if I wanted to be real old about it, it wouldn't get a high rating at all, of course. But um, man, two thumbs up. <laughs> <laughs> I, love, I love how it's like letter grade or number grade. Ah, two thumbs up. <laughs> I explained myself. I lo- no, no, I love it. It's perfect. I think that's yeah. great. Um, it, that's a great explanation, uh, Ben. And I think taking everything that you just said into consideration and nostalgia factor, how bad the movie is, and how great it is at the same time, how it sort of, I would definitely say it pioneered a couple of things, and I'm being totally serious saying that. It definitely, prototropes were (laughs) happening in this film, and I mean that seriously too, and not seriously. I'm going to give this movie a 7.5. Nice. There's so many great things about it, and then the horribleness of it sort of detracts you know, and brings it down to a 7.5. So if, if I take every single factor about this film, I would, you know, I, you know put them all against each other, 7.5. It's great. It's, am- it's, it's amazing. Like, like Ben said, I'm speechless. It was terrible, but I loved it. Yeah, yeah. Ugh, my God, yes. That's, that's a good, that's a great descriptor. All right, gents. That's it. We have escaped. <laughs> we have escaped the winch came down now it's time to escape this podcast i'm gonna say uh i'm gonna say so long folks and thanks for tuning in see you dudes good night that's gonna wrap up this week's episode folks don't forget to tune in next week when we talk about the boys to see links to the stuff we spoke about today you can find the show notes in your podcast app of choice or at our website ebd.fm forward slash episodes forward slash 20. You can shoot us questions using the Twitter hashtag AskEBD. You can find me at Mulverine on Twitter. That's M-O-H-L-V-E-R-I-N-E. Chad is at Chad Normal on Twitter. Ben is at Jarhego on Twitter. That's J-A-R-H-E-E-G-O. If you want to support the show, we would really appreciate it. And there's two great ways to do that. The first is rating and reviewing the show helps other people find us you could also tell somebody about the show word of mouth is incredibly powerful thanks again for tuning in and we'll see you next time <laughs>